Everyone, welcome again. I'm so glad that you are with us today. My name is Lance Marshall. This is The Gathering. It is a place specifically built to make new people feel uh, welcome and comfortable here at the church. I'm so happy that you're with us. One of the things that we do to help order our time together is something that we call series. Series are taking topics of conversation and focusing on them for a number of weeks. Sometimes it's things like a book of the Bible. We did Revelation uh, for seven weeks here at the beginning of the year. Sometimes it's important topics like the intersection between faith and science. Uh, sometimes it's just things the church needs to be talking and giving leadership about. We did a series called Sex, Death, and Money just a few weeks ago. Uh, over this course of August, what I always like to do is focus on what we call the season of saints. November, the first Sunday in November is called All Saints Day. It's a reflection on those who have lived and died and gone before us and celebrating their lives, their ministries, their lives, their lessons we have to learn from them. Uh, so we'll focus on a lot of uh, people who have inspired us in the past. There's one particular person that we're focusing on, though, over the course of this month of October, and that is because October 31st uh, of this year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of October 31st, 1517. Math. Uh, and that is the day that a gentleman named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the efficacy and power of the practice of the sale of indulgences to the door of the, the, the cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany. And what that led, was, uh, led to was a process called the Reformation. Why that is important to each and every one of us in this place is because the subsequent changes that happened in the, as a result of the Reformation have deeply impacted the lives, the faith, the Christian uh, hope, and the relationship to God of each and every person in this room, whether you realize it or not. Right? So what we've been doing over the course of this month is reflecting on Martin Luther and his radical faith and what that led us to do to change, to better understand, and to better know. Right? Now remember, at every point, Martin Luther was not inventing new things. Right? Martin Luther was not some out-there dreamer who was coming up with radical new ways. What Martin Luther was was a professor, a student of the Bible, a studier, and someone who was willing to take a hard look at the Christian culture that had grown up around him and say, in what ways have we fallen away from what it truly means to follow Jesus? Right? That's what he did. He wasn't inventing some new things. He was instead looking back and saying, in what ways could we be doing a better and more faithful job of following Jesus the way that those very first generations did? Right? What in the last 1,500 years has grown up that's led us farther astray rather than closer to the Christ that we're following? One of the first things that's impacted our lives as a result of what Martin Luther did, and we talked about this uh, in the first week, was the idea that you read a Bible in your language, right? Before this, not everybody had access to a Bible, of course. Bibles were incredibly expensive. There was no printing press, so each Bible had to be handwritten by someone with an education. So you had to basically employ a white-collar person to spend an entire year handwriting a Bible. So very few people had access to one. Additionally, when... Bible... Yes! <laughs> Why don't you raise your hands? Why do I have to sit there and watch you laugh at me? I am talking and writing. <laughs> Bible in your language. Boo. Why Bible in your? Why O U R? That is not an A. That is an, an O and a U. Okay, I'll just leave, and then what are you going to do? <laughs> then one of you has to preach, right? Okay, be careful. <laughs> Tell us what your service is like. <laughs> the idea that you have access to a Bible in your language. 
right? That you can have an intimate relationship with the scripture, just as someone who desires to have a relationship with God. Before this, the only people who had access to Bibles were people who were inside the clergy or were incredibly wealthy, who had the ability to speak a dead academic language. Uh, the idea that you have access, affordable access to a Bible in your language is something that's different because of the Reformation, right? And because of that, you know, how many countless billions of people have had a more alive, a more life-saving relationship, relationship with Christ because of it. Number two, the thing that we talked about last, uh, last week was something that had grown up over time was all these different understandings and avenues of what it is to be saved, right? I mean, how do I have to live in relationship to the church, right? What kind of boxes do I have to check off in order to understand that I have received salvation in God, right? What do I need to do to understand this? And that's where the sale of indulgences was coming involved that really just upset Luther because the fundamental idea behind it was through an exchange of cash for services, I could somehow receive salvation, right? But, Bible, but Luther had read the Bible. Luther knew more than this, right? Luther could see how far away this we had come. And so one of the things that Luther uh, really emphasized was the idea of salvation through faith. It is faith in God through Christ that leads to salvation. It's not faith in Christ and. It's not faith in Christ then. It is faith in Christ. S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N-T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Salvation through faith. These are things that were different, right? If there's no Luther, if there's no Reformation, if you inherit the Christianity that Luther had inherited, your relationship and your faith in God would be completely different, right? So the last thing that I want us to talk about today is something you may never have really thought about much. It's something you may, never, may not have really uh, considered, but it dramatically changes what your life is like as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus, and that is something called the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. So this is something you may not have ever thought about, may not have ever considered, but what Luther led to a different reformation, a different understanding of what it is to be faithful has completely and totally changed everything about what it means for you to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Let me explain what that means. So an idea had sprung up over time, uh, over the course of many hundreds of years that Luther inherited in the early 1500s that believed that basically society was separated into two, right? There was a community that was called the spiritual estate, and the spiritual estate considered, uh, consisted of priests and monks and nuns, bishops, popes, right? What they called the religious, the people who had somehow devoted all of their lives into some form of, of service within the walls of the church, right? The spiritual estate was what they considered one portion of society to be. The other portion was the earthly estate, the people who weren't part of this, right? The people who maybe were farmers, artisans, merchants, maybe rulers, maybe serfs. They were called the temporal estate. Right? There were two sources of being, there were two sources of power, they said, they thought, the spiritual estate and the temporal estate. But where this went way, way, way wrong over time was the leaders of the spiritual estate started to say, well, I mean, we're the people of God. I mean, look at our dresses, right? Look at our fancy clothes. We're the people of God. And of course we know because God rules over everything, because God has power over everything, because everything answers to God, well, we're the people of God, so all of you should answer us, right? We're in charge. We're the authority. We are the ultimate arbitrators and rulers of all things, right? Those of us who have committed to life in the church, of course, have the highest positions of honor and authority and everything. Everything should bow to us, right? 
And over time, some reform-minded people, some people who had considerations would say, but well, hold on, though. I mean, I understand why you think that, but isn't the ultimate source of authority Scripture? Right? Isn't Scripture uh, the ultimate source of what it is to be faithful and where power and authority lies? Right? Shouldn't it really be Scripture that we're all grounded in? And the spiritual authority people, the spiritual state would say, yes, absolutely. However, only we have the ability to interpret Scripture. Right? See the little okey-doke they pulled there? Yes, absolutely. uh, Scripture is the authority, and the only people who can read it and interpret it is us. And it says we're right. And then over time, some people, reform-minded people, would say, I don't know, I think there really needs to be, over the course of history, we've seen the roles of these councils, right? From the Jerusalem Council in Acts to the Council of Nicaea, all these different kinds of councils that help the church really determine uh, when it's being faithful and when it's being right and help dispute these issues of theology and power. You know, shouldn't we really be having councils to help us rule and understand how these things are going? And the spiritual said, absolutely, yes. However, the only people who have the authority to call a council is us and we've decided we're not going to do it, <laughs> right? This is the attitude that had, that had that sprung up over time, right? All of these different roles and possibilities of reformer leadership had been taken away, and this is, this is rooting, uh, this is sticking in the craw of Martin Luther because he's read scripture, right? He has an understanding, this, is, this isn't how it works. This isn't the model that we were given. This is not the lessons that we were taught, right? And he has root, he has authority to teach him that this is not what God is up to. We're going to be reading scripture today, in a very small book of the Bible, uh, it's, a, it's a book called First uh, Peter. If you're going from the flip method, you need to start in the back and go forward. And First Peter is only a couple pages long. Table of contents are always allowed. First uh, Peter is in the very, very caboose end of the New Testament. We're going to be reading from First Peter today. And uh, the Apostle Peter is writing this text, and he's writing it to a community of people. And what he's trying to get them to understand is how significantly their lives are different because of their faith in Christ, right? Now remember, particularly people who were coming into faith in Christ who were never Jewish people, people who were Gentiles, right? Over and over again, they're called Gentiles uh, or Romans in these letters. These people who were never Christians before, who are now becoming Christians, they previously came from a culture called syncretism, right? Which basically said, you can just pile up additional gods, right? To keep to stay happy with, you can kind of give them offerings, do different services. We'll just keep kind of adding to the community. If someone else has got a new god, add him to the party, right? No problem. I can worship all these other gods, offer sacrifices to them, whatever I need, no problem, right? So the idea that there is one God, one God, through which you have a relationship through Jesus Christ is completely radical and requires them to put away every understanding of of, uh, spirituality they previously had before. And what Peter needs them to understand is, and in doing so, you are changed, right? This is not something that you're just doing to curry favor, This relationship with God through Christ is actually transforming. It completely impacts who you are. It affects every single aspect of your life. Do you understand through your faith in Christ, you're not just getting services or goods from a celestial being. You are being remade. Understand that, he says. And that's right where we pick up in 1 Peter chapter 2. Hear these words. Because you are being remade, he says, therefore, get rid of all ill will and all deceit, pretense, envy, and slander. Instead, like a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word. Nourished by it, you will grow into salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
Now you are coming to him as to a living stone, Peter said. Even though this stone was rejected by humans, from God's perspective, it is chosen and valuable. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You are being made into a holy priesthood. You are being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what God is up to. Thus it is written in Scripture, and he quotes Isaiah, Look, I am laying a cornerstone in Zion, chosen and valuable. The person who believes in him will never be shamed. And then he goes back to writing, So God honors you who believe. For those who refuse to believe, though, the stone the builders tossed aside has become the cornerstone. This is a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall because they refuse to believe in the word, they stumble. Indeed, this is the end to which they were appointed. But you, those who believe, those who are faithful, those who have accepted Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God speaks to us through the reading of scripture. One of the things that's worth worth reflecting on what is a priest? What is the role and function of a priest, right? What, is, what does a priest do uh, in our culture, in other cultures? What is the role and function of a priest? There are two things uh, that are particularly important, I think, for you to recognize. One, a priest always and everywhere serves as a representative of God. A priest always and everywhere, in every culture, in every environment, serves as a representative of God. And second, every priest, always and everywhere, serves a ministry. Something that God has called that person to. Something that God has endowed that person to. Something that God equips that person to do, right? Always and everywhere, priests serve this role, right? In the environment that Martin Luther was living in in 1517, Uh, What they were being told was only a few very small special people have this, right? And in doing so, they are changed and different, and they have authority and power over each and every one of you. They are special-er, holy-er, different-er than you, and you just have to listen to them because they got something that you did not get, right? Martin Luther, a student of the faith and of the scriptures, says, oh, Always and everywhere, what God has been up to through Jesus and his grace is transforming all people, is endowing all people, is remaking each and every person through God's grace in faith. All people are being made into representatives of God and all people are being given a ministry. What he says What Peter says is not that there's no such things as priests anymore because of Jesus. What he's saying is all who have faith, all who follow, all who say yes, all who receive the transforming grace of God, all people 
are being made into this royal priesthood for the purposes of transforming the world. That means you. Did you realize that? Have you thought about that? Have you realized that by virtue of your faith in God, in Christ, you are endowed and welcomed into the priesthood? Welcome. If you haven't considered it, let me give you a couple tips. First, all black. Because it's slimming. But seriously, right? The dominant metaphor that we hear through Paul and all of his writings is that together we are being remade into the body of Christ, right? We have different roles. We have different functions. Some portions of the body are called into to services such as uh, leading the church, right? Representing the church in the world. Some people have that specific call, right? But no one is different. No one is better. No one is elevated. Does that make sense? The reason that I'm the one who officiates over the sacrament when we come to the table is because I'm a person who has specifically devoted their lives to the study of the sacrament, to its practice, and to sharing it with community, not because my hands are different or because my words are special. Does that make sense? Each and every one of us has been called into the priesthood, and that doesn't mean that doesn't matter if you have a microphone or not. Each and every one of you is called to serve as a representative of God in the world, and each and every one of you is called to serve a ministry. Let me share with you what that's like. Sometimes I feel a little different in the world, right, by virtue of uh, my priestly role, the same priestly role that you have, right? Nowhere fake makes me feel more different or more of uh, a symbol of God rather than just being myself, than when I walk into the room with the groom and the groomsmen before the wedding. Because before I walk in, it's very noisy and everyone is having fun. <laughs> and then I walk in and it gets real churchy. <laughs> right? And it's really weird because I'm like their age most of the time. But they're not reacting that way to me, right? They're reacting to what comes along with me, right? The representation of God in their lives and in their midst. That's that priestly role. That's the downside of it. The upside is, of it is when I walk into a hospital room, right? In the middle of death and despair, illness, hope, and fear. When I walk into the room, people don't see me, right? What they see is a physical reminder of the promise that God is with them always and everywhere, and that brings hope and light and love because of that priestly work. When I have a cup of coffee with someone and I hear them describe all that they've done wrong and all the ways in which they've disappointed themselves and hurt other people and all, of which, all the different ways in which they have lost the path, and I look them in the eyes and I say on the behalf of God, you are forgiven. That's the upside. I have that role and authority because I am called into the priesthood to serve as a representative of God in the world, and so are you. You have that same authority to absolve sins and help people understand 
forgiveness. You have the authority to share the good news. You have the authority to carry the presence of God with you into the room because you are called into that royal priesthood. Each and every person has a ministry. A ministry is the work that you're given in the world. Uh, sometimes it can feel confusing. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. How are we supposed to find what our place is? In the month of January of 2018, we are going to do an entire sermon series, uh, a, a series of exercises, a series of lessons and talks and sermons that are all about answering this question, what is God's purpose for my life? What is my ministry? What direction should I be heading in, right? But let me just say with this, you are unique. You have a history. You have a background that has shaped you and prepared you. You are perfectly suited and capable of reaching a community in the way that no other person is, right? You have a background that makes certain people listen to you. You have an experience that makes certain people stand up because what you have to say means something to them in a way that my words never could. You have a background and you have gifts. Some of you have a gift of love. Some of you have a gift of listening. Some of you have a gift of prayer. Some of you have a gift of giving. Some of you have a gift of change. Some of you have a gift of speaking. Each and every one of you has a community of people that are ready to listen to you. Each and every one of you has a gift, and each and every one of you has a passion, a passion, something that you desperately want to see changed in the world, something that you can devote endless time and energy to, something that you are willing to work for every day to the end of your days. You have a history, you have gifts, and you have a passion. And where those things overlap, that is your priestly ministry. On behalf of God, you have been given that ministry, each and every one of us. Let me leave you with this thought. What does this say about God? The all-powerful creator of everything, the ground of our being, the source of our hope. What does it say about God that this God chooses to work in the world in and through you? What does it say about that God's priorities? What does it say about that God's purposes? What does it say about God that God takes each and every person in this room who is willing to say yes and says, I am going to be working through you now. You are one of my agents. You are one of my representatives. You are one of my priests. What does it say about God? And what does it say about you? What does it say about God and you that you are trusted, that you are entrusted, that you are given this work, this holy work, this important work, the most meaningful work that has ever existed on the face of the planet Earth. What does it mean and say about you that you are looked at, seen from top to bottom, understood completely, and God says, you are worthy. Because you are. Please pray with me. Great and loving God, it is easy for us to sit back and hope that the work of representing you in the world and being about your ministry would be someone else's work, would be someone else's job, someone else's call. But, oh Lord, you remind us that all who have faith that all who receive your grace and all who call Jesus Lord are your priests, your representatives, 
your people in the world. God, whether this is the first time we have ever accepted this calling, or God, whether someone is standing on the precipice for the first time, remind us that in this and all things, you always call us to something that you are willing to support us in, ready to guide us in, prepared to empower us in. And in all we do, we are never alone. But instead, you are with us now and every day of our life, shaping us, remaking us in the image of your Son, Jesus the Christ, as together we all pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.